This is the Music Buzz Podcast. Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business. Now let's buzz. Today we welcome to the uh, Music Buzz podcast a great guest uh, joining us. We're thrilled to have him, uh, along with our co-hosts, of course. Uh, joining as always, we got Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you today? I'm good. And also, Hugh. How's it going, Hugh? Going well, thanks, Andy. How are you? Great. So the Music Buzz podcast today welcomes Grammy and People's Choice Award winner and Oscar-nominated artist Jim Peterick. Jim first rose to fame as a member of the Ides of March, where he wrote and sang many songs, including the worldwide hit Vehicle, and that band continues to this day. In the 70s and 80s, Jim was a part of the band Survivor, where he co-wrote the classic song Eye of the Tiger, amongst many other hits by that band. And some of Jim's other songwriting credits include major hits by 38 Special, Sammy Hagar, The Beach Boys, Doobie Brothers, Dennis D. Young, and many more. So please welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, Jim Peterick. Hey, Andy and everybody, Andy and Dane and Hugh. Yeah. Uh, you said it all. I mean, we're done. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, what else can I add to that? No, man, we're just getting started. All right. All but right. Jim, what a career you've had, man. Wow. It's really awesome. I did a little deep dive on you yesterday, and man, I watched a couple of recent videos from the Ides of March uh the Last Band Standing from 2015, a very cool song and video with uh, references to the Warner Brothers period of the band. And I really enjoyed it, man. Really cool. Thank you. And then Swagger, come on now, with Mark Farner. <laughs> Look, Music Buzz podcast listeners, if you like rock music and still have a pulse, you're going to love this tune. I mean, I watched it three times. It's killer. I got to interrupt. I love the song, but I really love the Popeye, James Bond, John Travolta, and Elvis references in the video. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the vocals, man, you and Mark going back and forth, it was just, it was really cool. I mean, because I, you know, I hadn't heard Mark sing in, in years. The band is smoking, really cool horn lines, a smart arrangement. And even though it came out in 2019, I believe, it's my pick of the month. Check it out, everybody. Swagger. It's smoking. Come on now. Thank you. Mark, Mark Farner is a force of nature, man. He's yes. still, still doing it. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, uh, he, he was Grand Funk. And as many of us know, sometimes you, you can't use the name because of various things. But Mark Farner right. is just a... Uh, a killer and he came to chicago i mean that was in real time that wasn't like sending files uh, across the country well yeah i so said the video you're right there you guys are in the same room so yeah, yeah. very unusual these days yeah right but farner is the best i mean talk about a real guy 
really and a talent and, and he did that vocal like at 10 in the morning <laughs> man he is still way up there god way, bless him way yeah. up there yeah man he's a hero well that's it's just fabulous I, I everybody should check that out if they haven't heard it i hadn't heard it and i'm just glad that i've finally got to <laughs> and speaking of that when i was 10 years old i bought vehicle right when it came out and uh, but i never heard the full album until yesterday and I'm really sorry that I missed it back in the day. I really am. Because I think it's, uh, I mean, the single is a classic, of course, but the album is just filled with great tunes. I just want to mention a few of them. If you know the record, go back and listen to it again. If you haven't heard it, it's a great album. The Sky is Falling, killer song, man. Very advanced arranging. Everything about it is cool. Got the world on a yo-yo string. Yeah. Going up, going Yeah, don't stop. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> don't stop. <laughs> Great. And I'll tell you what, man, there was a couple of them that really gave me chills. Home, such a beautiful melody, almost Jimmy Webb-like. What a compliment. I mean, Jimmy Webb is one of my all-time songwriting oh, yeah. heroes, man. You know, God. well, thank you. Home, that's where my future lies. It's okay, man. It's all right, man. Uh, this beautiful song, man. Uh, one Woman Man. Did you practice that one? Yes. No, well, I didn't, but we never stopped, <laughs> we never stopped playing that one. <laughs> I guess I'll always be a one woman We loved Gary Puckett and the Union Gap. Uh, in fact, we uh -huh. still we still know those uh, Gary. But I was trying to I was channeling Gary with that song. You know, okay, that makes sense now and, that, I, uh, that and, you say that. And actually, I was I wrote it for my my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and now let's see, fifty years in September, I'll be married to that girlfriend. For 50 years. Wow, man. Congratulations. <laughs> well, yeah, congratulations. And I that's something else that I came across on my dive yesterday was a some kind of rock and roll history guy was talking about the story behind Vehicle. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, w we can get to that here in a second because it's a great story. But he told it, so I know you can tell it because he had to hear it from somewhere. It yeah. really, it's really wild. <laughs> how all that happened with your wife and how all that came about. But just to finish up here, Air of Good Feeling, 
What a beautiful song that is, too, man. Fantastic oh, song. Oh, yeah, we still, you know, we still, still do that. We still, a lot of times we open with that. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, we have a show. We're doing the Illinois State Fair uh, on the 17th, is it? On Monday, whatever date that is. And we start with, well, we do People Get Ready, just a little kind of an intro piece. People get ready, you know, four part harmony. And then, you know, we go right into. like a clarion call and everybody whoa oh, yeah i love this air good feeling if it can stick around through the years you know it's yep. got to have something going no question about it yeah I, I mean i just i still can't believe that i missed some of this stuff when i was a kid and i'll tell you what that what really surprised me was the the kind of uh experimental tunes that you guys did where you mashed up Jethro Tull's uh, Dharma for One and Wooden Ships. Wow, man, where'd you get the idea to do that? That's wild. Well, Very cool. Know, I don't know. That was my idea. And uh, we weren't into drugs, so it must have been natural. Uh, I guess. But we loved that, that piece, that, you know, that flute piece. And we just did a mashup and it, it incongruous, but it worked. And Dharma for one was that on the first Jethro Tull record? Was that on yeah. this was yeah this sure was. was yeah yeah yeah. Wow, I just that, that one really surprised me. It just made me smile. Very experimental for the day, and, as well as the Eleanor Rigby, this the symphony for Eleanor too. Right, right. You guys well, that, put you guys put a little time into those arrangements. Oh my God! Oh, the funny the funny thing was every night it was different. So when we went in the studio, we had to just freeze dry the moment and figure out the best of all those versions because it was it was a jam basically that right. we finally had to commit to tape. Sure, those two songs in particular. How many takes did you do? Do you remember? Um, you know what? Probably just two. Too. Okay. You know, Larry, Larry's here, by the way. Larry Millis is the leader of the Ides of March. We've known each other since third grade. Oh, Larry, wow. show your uh, face. Can you see him? Hey, Larry. Hey, What's happening, yeah. man? Larry is the the, uh, the the North Star of of the Ides of March, and uh, uh, you know a dear friend. In fact, with the Ides of March, the original four guys. Uh, myself, Larry Millis, Mike Borch, and Bob Berglin, we're still alive and kicking. And Scott May on keyboards is the new kid on the block. He's been with us for 33 years. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, Great. Then we have the best horn section we've ever had. Uh, you know, it's just a, a great show, and we look forward to every show. Who arranges the horn section? Well, um, with Vehicle... It was kind of a brain trust. I mean, I had the ba da ba ba da, you know, which is yeah. of course the the clarion hook. But you know, it it was always kind of a well, try this, try this, and the horn players would get involved. And even to this day, it, I may have the seed idea, but it takes the the band to really arrange it. Sure. Well, can you tell us how you guys got started? Because you were founded in '64, I think, and leading up to that classic first Warner Brothers record, which I finally discovered. Duh! <laughs> can you tell us how how that all happened? And then you got to tell us the story of Vehicle. Oh man, you guys will lose well, it. It's great. Well, well, first of all, like I said, I've known Larry since third grade, and. And I was at my house. I lived with my parents, of course, as we all did at the time. I was only like, you know, 15. He starts knocking on my door and saying, 
Hi, Jim. You know, your band, your band stinks. You got to join my band. <laughs> so thank you very much. And he's very blunt. He's still blunt, but, but to this day. But uh, I send him packing, basically. And, uh, well, you know, no thank you. About a week later, knock, knock, knock. Jim, come on. You got to come, at least come to rehearsal. I, I got this great band started. We don't have a name yet, uh, but... So, okay, I lugged my magnetone amp over to his house, and there was Bob Berglund and Larry Millis and myself and Mike Borch, and we started, oh, the first song we, we worked on was Tell Me Why by the Beatles, so that that's, time stamps it. Yep. Tell me why you cry, and these guys were so tight, and the harmonies were so good and I just fit right in and I said okay I'm quitting that crummy band I'm with right now and I'm joining these guys but we got to get a good name and uh, so I said how about the Shondells because there was that guy this time we're really breaking up this time it's forever and that was Troy Shondell it's kind of catchy and everybody says okay that's a good name so we were the Shondells for about a year and a half, and suddenly on the radio, new from Tommy James and the Shondells, Hanky uh. Panky, and we go, oh <laughs> shit, you know? <laughs> Damn it. And, uh, but fortunately, uh, it came out better because we were all reading Julius Caesar, and Bob Berglund says, hey, look at this, Beware the Ides of March. Sounds like a name. We said, that's our new name. And just in time for the You Wouldn't Listen record to be pressed up, we changed our name to the Ides of March, and that's what appeared on the uh, the Parrot label single. Oh, okay. And, and what was the song? Oh, You Wouldn't Listen. You Wouldn't Listen. you got to look that up. I will. I told you he was a fool. You wouldn't listen to me. He'll break your heart. So Larry did the low parts. I did the high parts. Is this... Back and forth. In high oh, we were in high school. Yeah, yeah. I was a junior, uh, and Larry was a senior. A top forty record. It was a top forty record, number forty-two on Billboard, number seven in Chicago. Wow. wow. You wouldn't, you wouldn't listen. Yep. I'm you guys were in high it. school then. Yeah, we're all in high school. And suddenly the cheerleaders started talking to us. Ah, I was, gonna I was ready, and, uh, ready for a girl reference. To oh, well, the, there yeah. you go. And <laughs> we used to play what they called assemblies. And, um, yeah. and we did a concert and um, every year. And uh, we, we got became very popular in high school. After you wouldn't listen, was that that was the first 45 that you guys put out? Well, the, yeah, the first one we put out. We, we did a self, uh, self-released uh, song called No Two Ways About It and Like It or Lump It on the Epitome label, which, of course, everyone called Epitome. You have to have a mispronunciation. Uh, and uh, we sold those at record hops and things like that. And they're okay. collector's, collector's items now. I'll bet. Not bad. Not bad for our first time out. Very cool. After you wouldn't listen, what was the next song you guys had after that? Well, uh, we started getting interested in the horns because of James Brown and uh, I feel good, you know, and stuff like that. So we added one trumpet, then two, then a saxophone. Suddenly we had a brass section. And uh, I wrote a song called One Woman Man and Warner Brothers loved it. And we released One Woman Man in, in 69. And it was what they call a turntable hit. 
and it, but it never sold really enough copies to make the charts. But One Woman Man was proof that our harmonies were, were gorgeous and the brass worked. And we had a management team, uh, Frank Rand and Bob Dostocki, and they talked Warner Brothers into one more chance. And we did a demo, uh, went back to the studio and cut four new songs. And the last one we put on, because we didn't feel it was a real record, it was more like a dance tune in our minds, it was called Vehicle. <laughs> and, uh, and Warner Brothers says, well, those first three were okay, but the fourth is a smash. And so we played it for Art Roberts at WLS, and, and Art Roberts says, well, if you add the answers to love you, love you, need you, need you, you we'll play it, and you'll have a number one record. And, and so it was. It came out in the spring of 70, uh, and went to number one on Cashbox and number two in Billboard a few months later. And suddenly the ads were on the road with Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Iron Butterfly. We were wow. on tour with all these bands and uh, just living the dream. So do I have this story straight of the beginning of Vehicle? You guys recorded it and then the engineer came in and said, I messed up and recorded over the front of your song. Well, it was 13 seconds, not at the front, but leading up to the, the instrumental. Oh, okay. He erased 13 seconds and we thought our lives were over because we knew this was there was some magic in the grooves on this song. And so I, the band went outside and took a walk and Larry stayed because he's the techie of the, of the band and the recording guy. And um, luckily this was take two, but this was before the days of click tracks. Sure. So every song was really different. It was more liquid, you know? But what he, he and the engineer did was take 13 seconds out of take, take one and insert it in take two, and it was perfect. Those are the old days. We actually t cut the old two-inch tape, man. Wow. Yeah, it was a two-inch. Yeah, yeah it, was two the inch tape. it was the first session on their two-inch 16-track. It was the first session on their two-inch 16-track. Oh. Mm. And uh, the only thing was, the Love You Need Juice, we were out of tracks, and we had to do a separate version of the answers uh, for the mono version and the stereo version. So you'll hear different background vocals on both of those. That's a very small known fact. I noticed that this morning. Ah, you did not. You are so lying. First <laughs> <laughs> thing I noticed. <laughs> so I'm going to have to check out that little snippet there. That's wild. 13 seconds. Yeah, man. And uh, I had to re-sing that, uh, that snippet. Oh, that also. section? Mm, yep. Yeah. And uh, it's a little different in timber, but really not noticeable. And that song still sounds amazing on the radio. Tell everybody else here the story about how you wrote the song. Yeah. This is a great story. Well, you know, I was dating this girl. I, I met her at a Turtles concert, and we were standing in line, and she was gorgeous. And I said, oh, this girl's way out of my league. And uh, she turns around and says, aren't you Peter? I go, yeah. And she says, well... <laughs> I just heard the Ides of March at the at Morton West High School, and you guys were great. I said, there is a God, you know. <laughs> and uh, she was with her uh, other girlfriends. Everyone was as cute as the next, you know, with their plaid skirts from Catholic school and their knee socks. And she was wearing a, a homemade pair of orange culottes, which 
I still, I wish she still had those culottes. Anyway, that's a different, <laughs> different story. Carrie, would, <laughs> yeah. would you mind putting on those culottes again? <laughs> yeah, honey. <laughs> the knee socks. Get, get those culottes and knee socks on, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and the saddle shoes. But okay, that's, <laughs> that's enough. So, um, you know, we, we stood there together chatting. We had everything in common, the same favorite songs and movies. And we loved... Uh, Spanky and our gang and it's just all sorts of crazy stuff and we sat together uh, in uh, and we watched the turtles and of course they were great this was right when they released uh, happy together oh yeah and when they went into that Karen takes her leg her culotte leg and puts it over mine and her girlfriend Jan says Karen and she goes it's okay and she trusted me even at that point big mistake but anyway <laughs> no I, I was really kind of a trustworthy guy and we dated for about uh, two and a half three years and she, all of a sudden she says Jim you're the first guy I've ever dated I gotta see what else is out there she didn't know that I would be the best you know uh, and I was so downtrodden I was on the road with the Ides of March and I was singing the blues hey let's encore with a gloomy sunday you know no no uh, anyway so finally finally she starts calling me again i was off the road and she says um jim you know you got that cool car you got a 1964 valiant and um i need a ride to patricia stevens modeling school and and i said okay you know i'm thinking inside well maybe um Maybe I'll get a little kiss or maybe, uh, you know, who knows, you know. So I pick her up in my Valiant and I drive her to Pat Stevens school and I wait for an hour and a half. She comes out and I take her home and at, at the porch, no kiss, no nothing, a little handshake. Oh, that was great, Jim. Let's do it again next week. I said, okay. So four, four weeks later, after the fourth time to Patricia Stevens, I'm thinking, you know what? All I am to you is your vehicle, baby. I'm your limousine, you know, and that's when it all made sense, you know, and I, and I heard that ba da ba ba da it's just signature horn riff, and I, I called a rehearsal at Larry's house in his parents' basement where we used to rehearse, and uh, as soon as I heard that riff uh, with the whole, whole band, I was hit total goosebumps. And a neighborhood kid named Tommy was over there watching. His jaw just, just dropped. And if Tommy liked it, I knew everyone was going to like this song. <laughs> so um, we recorded it uh, with, our, with our producer at CBS Recording, or they call it Columbia there. CBS, I guess. Oh, CBS. CBS on uh, Fair... What street was that? Fairbanks. Fairbanks, thank you. And then that's when, of course they erased part of the tape and that's another story but that thing came out and skyrocketed to the top of the charts guess who started calling me again ah little miss culottes you know jim maybe <laughs> a little hasty about that maybe we should try this again and uh i let her hang on that phone for at least three seconds and i said Sounds good to me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we started dating again. And before you knew it, we were at the ice cream power, po uh, parlor. Happiness is in, in, Oak, in um, Riverside. And we're going, let's get married. Let's get engaged. And she said, sounds good to me. 
And, uh, and so it was, and I proposed to her on the steps of Riverside Brookfield High School, where I met her for, to, see, to see the turtles. And I got down on one knee, and um, suddenly we were at the chapel getting married. All the Ides of March sang at, at my wedding. And it was just a, a magical thing, you know. And 50 years later on September 2nd, it'll be, <laughs> she's still my, I'm still her vehicle. And she's still the love of my life. That's awesome. That's a great story, man. Yeah. Congrats on that. That's said 50, awesome. 50 years in September, yeah? Yeah, September 2nd. Awesome. Wow. That's great. Very you know, cool. uh, we interviewed Don Barnes on the podcast about a year ago, and he had nothing but uh, praise for you um, and your songwriting yep. and your friendship and stuff. And looking over your bio, the one part of your website that I really thought was cool was that it kind of outlines your your hits, your Jim's uh, top 20 hits. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, and obviously, Vehicle's on there. Uh, amongst others, hold on loosely. I had a tiger, heavy metal, etc. I've got a question for you. So, as a songwriter, which you know you clearly have been wildly successful at, behind some of the songs that I just mentioned, amongst others. But you know, looking over the guys that you work with, how intimidating is it for you <laughs> to walk in with Leonard Skinner or Sammy Hagar or? You know, I mean, to me, that's got to, it's one thing to have your own band, right? Where that's yeah. expected of you. But what is that like walking into a room and just cold and kind of being like, here I am, I got to, we, we're writing together. What's, what is that experience like? Like, what kind of mind frame must you be in? Well, that, you know, that is such an uh, interesting question. Um, I, I never really get the, uh, the nerves. I, I, I don't get nervous, but every band is different and every situation is different. With 38 Special, I'll never forget the first time we wrote together because I, I never met either of these guys, Jeff Carlisi or Don Barnes, and suddenly there they are in my kitchenette in LaGrange. Uh, that was our Karen in my first house. And uh, it's a little awkward. It's like a blind date times three, you know? <laughs> and Don Barnes was here and Jeff Carlisi was here. I was in the center. And uh, Jeff Carlisi looks at the wall and sees a, a, a eight by 10 glossy or whatever that is of the Ides of March. And and he goes, what are you doing with a picture of the Ides of March on your wall? And I said, well, see the guy on the far left? That's me. You're in the Ides of March. I love that band. Oh my God, you wrote Vehicle? Suddenly I, I was a hero, not just some you know, guy who wrote songs, you know? and. Um, but we still needed that one spark, you know, it's usually just one little spark that creates a fire, you know, and I had nothing that I was ready to show them at all. I just figured it'll, it'll happen. And it did. And uh, I said, anybody got any ideas? And, and Don Barnes sitting here, he goes, well, I, I got a title. And I don't know if he told you the story, but I said, okay, go ahead. He goes, hold on loosely. <laughs> I said, wow, but don't let go. And suddenly my brain is going, you know, uh, and I'm thinking about Karen and dating her. And I was getting a little too close, you know, a little too pushy with her. And it, I, I saw the song in my head, lyrically. And then Carlisi goes, well, I got a song, I got a riff. And he goes, <laughs> I said, yeah, that'll work. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you think? That'll work. And so I become the, the alchemist in the room, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about that scenario with Karen. And I, you know, and I start thinking, you, know, you see it all around you, good loving gone bad. And usually it's too late when you realize what you had. My mind goes back. Well, I didn't write all this at one time, but that's how it started. And then I get the pre-chorus. My mind goes back to the girl I met. So over the course of that whole day, we wrote and finished the song and demoed it just with three guitars, you know, sent it to their management and he goes, boys, this is the number one record. Really? Yeah, yeah. And, and so it was, it, it was top 10 for weeks. It was on all the FM stations, AM stations. And that song is still in the Ides of March uh, repertoire, and of course in 38, still one of their big songs, probably the last song they do in the set, you know, because it's oh, yeah. so, yeah. so sure. iconic. Absolutely. That's one of those songs that's on the radio everywhere every day. You know? I know. I got to say, that's one of those songs that, gosh, it's, whenever you hear it on the radio, it just sounds so great, you know? When Andy brought up you being in the room with people, how did that make you feel? How did you respond to being amongst all these people? What was your experience with the Beach Boys? I'm a huge Beach Boy fan, so and I listened to that song today, and it, it's full of nostalgic Beach Boys, smiley smile days Beach Boys with Van Dyke Park's kind of influences. It's beautifully covering a lot of their eras, but were you in the room with them, or did you just think of them as, a, as someone that should sing one of your songs, or was it the other way around? Did they find you? Well, uh, we're Larry and I were, were dear friends with uh, Joe Thomas, their producer, mm -hmm. who did the, the uh, 79 album. But then it was time for another album. And I'm sitting with Brian and Larry and uh, and Joe and uh, and we're just we're eating shrimp. And, you know, it was just very casual at a Chinese restaurant. And Brian is there and he's got no uh what is it? Manners? You know, <laughs> if, you, if you don't eat something on your plate, he'll grab it. And he's just, okay, <laughs> that's fine, Brian, just take it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, he was dipping shrimp in the, into the butter and all sorts of goofy things. And uh, I was talking about how awesome records used to sound coming through a AM radio on my dashboard. And uh, Brian threw a gulps of shrimp, goes in, well, that's why God made the radio. Yeah. What did oh, you yeah. just say? What did you just say? I don't know. Well, no, you said that's why God made the radio. And uh, I wrote it down. And for the next three years, we were writing this song. Uh -huh. We oh, knew wow. we had something really special. Yeah, it shows. Yeah. And... I still love that song. The first time I heard it on the radio, I, I nearly went off the, the road. And oftentimes, um, you know, Larry and I would go to a, a concert where they were performing and they would be doing, that's why God made the radio. And we'd come up there with them like part of the family. Yeah. So in, in Very cool. the, that's such a unusual song. And then we kept writing and isn't a time with something that Larry and I wrote with Brian and Joe, and that's also on that same album, That's Why God Made the Radio. Wow, man. 
awesome. And now we're going to do it again. And we're talking about, Joe's talking about a, another Brian album. So stay tuned. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. What a privilege, eh, to hang no out with, with the maestro. <laughs> no doubt. Well, yeah. I mean, he was my hero growing up. Uh, the three Bs, the Beatles, Backrack David, and Brian Wilson. That's the, the three magical Bs in my songwriting career. Wow. There's other Bs in there, too, man. The birds. <laughs> Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Of course. Right. The birds were another one. That's number Buffalo three. Springfield. Oh, she's a lot of bees, man. <laughs> yeah. I love all of those bands. Yeah, you know. no question. Baccarat, what a great composer he was. Well, Boy, yeah. No kidding. One of my one of my heroes, I mean, and Hal David doesn't get nearly the credit that he deserves for the lyrics. You no know, question. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be really dumb without raindrops falling on my head. You know, we all come up through the experience of listening to music, whether it comes from your parents or you discover it yourself. But my father was a huge Mercer, um, Johnny Mercer and uh, Henry Mancini fan. And that's that stuff rubs off. You know, I, I see it in the, the emotional aspect of your composition you know, you still like to go from the emotional to the rock, even within one song, which is great, too. You'll start off, and it's not lost on me that that's, that's a tease because it's going somewhere big. <laughs> but, yeah, to hear you, to hear the way you write and, and the way you even change key within a song and so on, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sophistication, which I'm not saying you learned it from Baccarat, but definitely it wasn't lost on you, his effect, you know? Wow, that, that's really... Um great intel because um you know a lot of times those things aren't even planned and a lot of times i'll do writing in the car while i'm driving and i'll this was back in uh, i don't know 82 or 83 mm -hmm. and uh, i always have a tape recorder ready and now it's an iphone but it's the same same difference and i had this whole melody uh that went through these bizarre uh modulations and somehow it all worked, and I couldn't wait to get back home and put my uh, hands on the on the piano. And uh, you know, it's like, how can I convince you? What you see is real. And fine, who am I to blame you for doubting what you feel? I was always reaching. Yeah, man. When, you know, and then all of a sudden it lifts to a whole different key on the chorus. The search is over. I still don't know how it gets back to the original key. If I if I analyze it, it'll it'll disappear. The magic is in doing that those kinds of modulations seamlessly and, and invisibly. Because you know, years ago when I sat down, I'm gonna I'm gonna play God Only Knows. I love that song. Well, holy shit! <laughs> yeah, there's a wonderful series of, of, of well, the very the very first chord. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, but but the, you're right. The travel is seamless and you never realize until you try to learn the song harrison did that too george harrison did it yes he did all the beatles did it yeah that's true yeah oh my god here yeah. there and everywhere you know oh my god great great example. how about that one yeah no that is sick eight days a week is another one. Oh my god well if we get into the beatles penny lane come on now penny lane. we'll be here all night that's you right know, <laughs> which is fine with me yeah when I hear the early songs, I mean, like She Loves You and so on, I am, it blows my mind how, how well-crafted those songs are. Um, mm -hmm. You're yeah. right. I mean, something's yeah. going on, you know, with the, with the death of, of John Kennedy, 
the world needed the Beatles and somehow they were alchemized. Uh, it was an unreal thing. There'll yeah. never be another four people that even touched the Beatles. No. Indeed. Much less from Liverpool, England, you know. Right. Yeah. Of all places, that's like us coming from Berlin, Illinois. I mean, it's no different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, so you, I mean, have you lived in Chicago your entire career? I have. Uh, okay. Born and bred in Berlin, just like all the Ides of March. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you know, when I started breaking with, well, on the road with, with the Ides of March, of course, I was never home. But then with Survivor, I was never home, and uh, most of our albums were done on the West Coast, so I was never home. Yeah. And it was kind of a drag, but kind of a drag. Oh, but <laughs> <laughs> everything's a song. That's the Buckinghams, our yeah. dear friends. Uh -huh. But, you know, that's, that's another story. Earlier on, you were talking about Hal David and, and how the, the unsung lyricists of the world Dane and I have talked about this at some length, and I am always impressed with great words, which is why I like Don Henley and Joni Mitchell and Jackson Brown. <laughs> how do you feel? How does it come to you when you're writing a song? I, I definitely hear you as being a melody guy, just from what you were saying about your iPhone. But when you sit down to pen the words and get the sentiment out, is it a, a natural flow for you, or do you understand why Elton has Bernie, <laughs> you know? Uh, well, certainly... Uh I know why Elton has Bernie, because that's just magical. But a lot of times I'm a title guy, and a great yeah. title will spawn, uh, hopefully, a great lyric. A great title, you know, helps me, the search is over. What, yeah. what, what am I searching right. for? You know, hold on loosely. That yeah. draws so much out of me. And sometimes in the middle of the night, and I'm sure a lot of you know the phenomenon of of dreaming something that yeah. is so 3D and you want to wake up, but sometimes you're fighting it and, and, or saying to yourself, I'll remember this in the morning, but you know you won't. Exactly. So I shake mm -hmm. myself out of sleep and I grab my iPhone and I put it down. And a lot of times it'll be shite, <laughs> but sometimes it'll be magical. And, yeah. and usually the dreams are much simpler then I'm, I allow myself to write in real time. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. It's interesting that you say that because Hugh, Hugh's always said when it comes to album artwork, you know, having a great title is, is a lot of times your jumping off point on that side. So it's interesting to hear both of you say that in two different uh, manners. Good observation, Andy, because as soon as he said that, I thought, you know, how many bands have I insulted by saying, yeah, I don't need your lyrics. I just want, I want a good title, you know. <laughs> And then that changed later on when albums turned into CD booklets. And of course, every song, you could harvest imagery from every song. So what was once a front and a back jacket on an LP became, in the case of some of my clients, 24 and, you know, 36 page CD booklets. So you had to populate the booklet with, so every song title had to speak to you as well as the album title. But you're right, albums, album titles just like you're saying, titles can be the, the motivator to, you know, to, to play. Right, but of course, experience can also be the motivator. Uh, you know, whether it's a, a girl that dumps you or a, a girl you just met uh, or someone else's situation, you know, because my right. days of uh, dating are long gone. But uh, a lot of friends and grandchildren and people that I know 
have gone through heartbreak and I try to channel that and sometimes I'll even interview people casually yeah <laughs> very stealth to see what they're feeling and putting that emotion in in a new song uh, I, I, you know I don't credit them they, they'll get no royalties but they do help me. Just to be clear. Just to be That's clear. Right. I have come knocking on the door now. I have attorneys on speed dial. Yes, go ahead. No, that's so cool. You, you don't ever sort of sit down. Um, well, you must. I mean, to sit down with a, a blank page and like an author with not necessarily any specific uh, trajectory. You just start to think about a, a concept or a good title. And then you, you uh, it's the difference between fiction and nonfiction. Do you write? fictional songs or are they often um, nonfiction? They're often nonfiction. I find those are the most real ones. Yeah. And uh, you know, and I hear a lot of songs that are just, everything's in place. Yeah. But it's not a song, you know, it's not really from the heart. Uh, and I don't feel anything to me. Feeling it is the whole knack of songwriting. It's not enough to put the mechanics all together and make right. it all rhyme and, and neat and cool and uh-uh, doesn't work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about the, the song Heavy Metal that you, you know, worked on? <laughs> I, I actually saw Sammy recently with, uh, you know, Michael Anthony and Jason Bonham on the drums, and they played that song, and it just sounds so strong still, you know? Oh. Uh, what a strong song. Can you tell us the story of that one? Yeah, I sure can. Um, you know, that was a great moment, and that was something that you asked me earlier if I'm ever a little bit um, nervous. And I was nervous about that writing session because I so respected what he did with Montrose and his whole persona as the Red Rocker. He really already created something. When he was signed to uh, Geffen, I got a call from John Kaladner, and he says, Jim, you got to write with Sammy Hagar. And I go, oh, I would love to. Okay. Anyway, I booked, I booked my flight uh, to uh, San Francisco, and those are the days when you could actually pick up your, uh, your, your guest at the curb at the airport, and there's this red Ferrari sitting there, and Sammy gets out with his blonde hair flying in the breeze. Hey, Jimbo, sit down. Come on, let's go. And he was going like 80 miles an hour down the highway, and he said, I got to stop for some coffee, man. I, got, I grind my own. You know, we stopped at the the coffee shop and this and everybody sammy hey you know i was like boy this is cool he, he's king of this of this town and uh, it was sausalito i guess is where he really where really lived at the time and we go up to his wonderful house and down in the basement and uh you know he had a, a little uh, task cam eight track recorder or whatever and again, it's that blind date syndrome where we didn't really know what to do. And I'm a little bit nervous. He says, well, you know, my, my uh, manager, Eddie Leffler, says there's a new movie called Heavy Metal, and maybe you could write a theme song. I said, oh, I like that. Yeah, you know, and I, I did a little, uh, you know, I just started jamming, and he started jamming and turned on the, the tape recorder. And uh, before you knew it, we had something. But the real, the real key was that chorus, you know. So I'll just do a little bit of this, and you can imagine us sitting there in his basement doing this demo. By the way, we sent it to Eddie Leffler, and he says, this is amazing. 
I, I have a feeling this is going to make the movie. So it's one of two songs called Heavy Metal on that uh, on that album. But this is the one that he, you know, that people remember more than the other one, which was also very good. But every show, like you said, Sammy uh, either encores with it or plays it, and uh, I couldn't couldn't be prouder of that. So. for that very nice as you were singing that and and taking me back to june when i saw them i mean you know we all know that sammy just has a ridiculous amount of songs he can choose from too you know with all the van halen stuff and all the solo stuff the montrose stuff etc <laughs> but that song man it's like i was thinking about that one and the 38 special songs i had the tiger and the one word that comes to mind with your songs is punch <laughs> you, hear, you hear your songs on the radio they just have a punch to them you know, that's well, they bla- they, thank and you. all these different bands, you know, some of their big vehicles hits. got a little bit of punch, too. Oh, right? Know, yeah, Come on now, man. They all yeah. do. But 
Yeah. To me, that's just the thing. It's like you've got you've got an amazing ability to write songs, but you've got that that punch that just comes through no matter who you're writing with. And well, that's good. That's a huge compliment. It's a very indefinable word, but I try try to achieve that. You know. Yeah, and and no pun intended with the Rocky, uh, you know, references either necessarily. Uh, boom! I didn't even catch that. Uh, me, me either until I just thought about it. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, that that there was of course a, a huge moment in in, in my career was that that call from stallone you know yeah man that that's interesting because i you know looking back on some of your stuff and writing for movies but i was thinking about and, and obviously everybody knows those movies uh, the rocky movies but the music you know music's in every movie but those songs are so intertwined with those movies you don't think well most movies you don't sit there and think oh yeah i remember that song from that movie necessarily but those songs with those Rocky movies were so uh, pivotal, I guess, at the time and still are. You, you think of the movies, you think of the songs. Yeah, um, to yeah. Get they, they are pretty uh, entwined. Uh, you know, Burning Heart was what we wrote for Rocky Four, And that'll never be, you know, Eye of the Tiger, but it, it hits, I call it the Avis of, of Rocky songs. It tries harder, you know, number two. Yeah. But uh, that was another great moment. Yeah, well, it's that. Uh, wasn't that the song that was playing during the whole Rocky goes to Russia and he's in the snow and all that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure is. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jim, for the many stories, and mainly thank you for all the great songs. Oh, I'm going to keep it coming. It's March. You're working on a new record right now, uh, and uh, it's it's going to be great. It's going to be the brass, the harmony, uh, good feeling. Uh, can't wait for you to hear it. Awesome. Awesome. Good luck with the next. Brian session. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. That's all. I'll keep you posted on that, and hopefully it'll happen. And uh, it'll be another great, uh, a great collection of Brian Wilson material. Great, man. Thanks, awesome, man. man. Best of luck to you. All right. Take care. Thank you for having me. Thanks, uh, man. Okay. God bless. See you later. All the best. Bye.